Good morning. It's good to be in the house of our Lord with you this morning. Today we'll be in John chapter 13, verses 6 through 11. So today is Palm Sunday, and in our text today, it's Thursday of Passion Week. It's the day before the crucifixion. The Lord had borrowed a room for a Passover meal for him and his disciples, according to Matthew 24. It's known as the Last Supper. It's used to transition from the Old Covenant to the New, according to 1 Corinthians. This final once and for all Passover was about to happen as the true Lamb of God would give his life for a ransom. As a ransom for many, he would be killed as the, at the same time as the Jews were slaughtering the Passover lambs on Friday. From here, chapter 13 all the way through 16 is at this meal. So you got four chapters of Christ ministering to his disciples. Eight, chapter 17 is Christ's high priestly prayer. 18 is the arrest. Chapter 19, he's beaten, the crown of thorns placed upon him. Pilate tries to wash his hands of the whole situation. All of the Jews cry, crucify him, crucify him. He's then crucified. Buried, resurrected. So we have seven chapters on the last hours of Christ's life leading into the resurrection this next week. So seven, if we hit a chapter a day, we could, we could do it, but there's way more. There's months and months before we can get to that point as we work our way through John. At the beginning of this, chapter the first verse John mentions you know the feast of the Passover is that Jesus knew that that hour had come he would depart from this world having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end this complete love all the way up until his death this love that continues all the way into the future for you and I for those that would believe. And last week, Josh went through the first five chapters, and it hurt a little bit. And some of you have shared with me that it hurt a little bit. As we work through verses 6 through 11, we see our gracious Lord, our humble Savior, continuing to serve as He is right now at the right hand of the Father. So let us stand, if you're able, as we give honor to God's Word. Then He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to Him, 
Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed only needs to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Almighty God, our righteous Father in heaven, Lord, please bless the preaching of your word. Bless this text. Let us glean from it what you will have us to learn. Let us go from here. Let it be manifested in our lives and bring glory and honor to you. We love you and all of God's children. So Peter was surprised, obviously, as most likely the other disciples were. And what all they, they all must have been thinking. He, he emphasizes how inappropriate it would be for Christ, the Lord of glory, to wash their feet. Jesus was, was the host of this meal. He had barred this room. He had set this up. And that alone, in and of itself, would have made him above washing anyone's feet. He was the master of the disciples, and the disciples were expected to serve their master. Not the other way around. And he was still teaching them even now. As they were arguing in Luke 22, as we went over last week, who was the greatest? The one greater humbled himself and served them. This is unheard of for a superior to, to serve an inferior, even in, in, in Jewish culture or Roman culture. This is not something that happened. They'd been waiting to establish his kingdom. And then he becomes the lowest servant among them as they were trying to decide who was the best, who was the greatest, who was his right hand. Minister in the Greek is huparetas. It means bottom level slave, the lowest slave in a ship rowing. I, uh, I get... I don't know if it's agitated or what the word is, but when somebody introduces themselves as Pastor Dr. Deacon so-and-so of the first whatever church of anywhere, I kind of get, I'm Jason, it's good to meet you, you know, I don't, I don't know what any of that matters. At this point in our conversation, we have a Pastor Dr. Joshua Banks here, and Half the time when I talk to him, I say, hey, man, what's going on? As any of you could. And I guess it irritates me that I see pastors with their chest poked out, acting like there's something. And then the word pastor means um, shepherd. A shepherd was not a really desirable job. Back then, it was not much better than a bottom level servant on a ship rowing. So our Lord had humbled himself to the lowest of slaves. And yet we hook our chest out, introduce ourselves as deacon so-and-so, and 
I'm somebody, you should pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. When in all humility, we should just minister to that person. And I, on the same token, I shouldn't probably overlook that and minister to them. But it's hard. So we have our Lord humbled himself. He serves them right to the very end. He goes through this whole discourse in the next few chapters. Telling them what's about to happen. He promises the Holy Spirit in this section. Leading up to his crucifixion. And what does Jesus say? He said to him, what I am doing, he did not understand. But you will know after this. So he patiently responds. And he assures Peter that he doesn't understand. But after his death and resurrection, he's going to know what this all was. So we're, as believers and children, and we, we often get sidetracked on why is the Lord doing this or why is the Lord... Like Peter could not understand why the Lord was going to wash his dirty feet. And we're often surprised at what the Lord is doing in our life. You know, um, when he's moving us somewhere, I can remember in 08, I had really bad luck with jobs you know like the economy was was tanking and you know I lost my job my my pay I got another job I made half the money that that uh, I did at my previous job and I was I was upset and I was like Lord I don't I, I need to to do something and and one day I was it, out of frustration I cried out like Lord what? something needs to happen you know and we often put ourselves in the place of Job when we're struggling. And it's uh, the thing about Job is that we can see the whole picture. We can see from beginning to end, Job couldn't. And what the Lord brought him through. And we ask why. Why am I suffering for this reason? Why has this trial been placed on my shoulders, this burden? And James 5.11 sums up Job. He, James narrows it all down. He, he sums it up. It's like his perseverance. Job says in his own words, I have heard of you, but now I see you. So Peter's mind was completely warped with what was happening because this was just not what was supposed to be happening. So we need to stop asking why and ask what. What, Lord? What do you have in store for me? What the Lord had in store for me, I, I can, I'll share that with you after service. But people that have known me since then know what has happened and how the Lord has blessed me, even though I asked why. We should ask, what is your purpose? What are you teaching me? What are you leading me into? Then how? How can I glorify you in it? So Peter's mind is completely gone. <laughs> and if it's on Peter's mind, it's going to come out of his mouth, as we've learned. <laughs> it's it's kind of like me sometimes, or maybe more often than not. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. So Peter goes from proud, too proud to wash anyone's feet, to being too humbled for Jesus to wash his feet. 
But then he's proud enough to rebuke Jesus and say, you're not, no, you're not going to do this. I know better than you. I will not allow this, Jesus. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. This is where it gets serious. Some translations say, no share with me. The Greek word here is meros. It generally means an inheritance. You have no inheritance with me, Peter, if I do not wash you. If you are not washed by Jesus, we're not capable of an inheritance. We cannot inherit the kingdom of God apart from that. So this act of humility on Christ's part was a prelude to the greater humility that was coming at the cross. Mark 10, 45. Jesus here is illustrating his entire ministry as, as it's it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Psalm 51.2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Ezekiel 36, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness. And from all your idols. Acts 22. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. It goes on and on. This washing, this regeneration. Your sins being washed away. And Christ's foot washing here, it, it corresponds to his ministry in this world. He rose from his seat at the, at the mill, just as he rose from his throne at the right hand of God. He humbled himself. He came into this world. He laid aside his garment of which the train of his robe filled an entire temple, according to Isaiah. He set that aside. He set aside his glory, according to Philippians 2. Verse 5 and 6 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Set aside his glory. Then he took on the form of a servant, Philippians 2, 7 says, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He poured water into a basin, washed his disciples' feet. It would only be a few hours from this that he would pour out his blood on the cross for remission of sin, washing away that sin. Then he rose again and he sat back at the table, his rightful place at the meal, his ascension back to the glory after he had finished the work on the cross, according to Hebrews 1. It's a portrait of his ministry. 
Peter was unwilling to accept this. He would not be able to accept the complete humiliation of Christ on the cross. This was the forerunner of that. The very next day, he would see this come to pass. Apart from the, the shed blood of Christ, we, we cannot have salvation. This, the sins would not be washed away. Peter's response, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. From pride to humility, back to humility. Pride now, humility again. He was humbled. <laughs> yes. Wash me, Lord. I get it. Wash all of me. Kind of echoes Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. Wash me. Make my inheritance sure. Jesus responds. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. He declares Peter is clean. He has a once and for all cleansing, just like us. Those that would believe. So, back in, back then, the Jewish dinner, dinner guest would, would bathe before coming to a meal. It's not a bad idea today. If you like your friends. And because they walked these dirty streets, they, they, their feet would get dusty. And they would clean their feet prior to a meal because these meals would last for hours and you would be reclined and your feet are out in front of you. So your dirty feet are out there for everybody to see and they may or may not stink, I guess. And so it was a good idea to wash your feet before you ate. And, you know, today we go into some people's houses, they ask us to take off our shoes and we respect those wishes and, you know, it's kind of along the same lines. It was a courtesy. Just like today, a bath is a courtesy to people around you. So as believers have a once and for all cleansing, the salvation, it never needs to be repeated. Hebrews 6 tells us we don't crucify Christ every time we sin. It's a real hard uh, pill to swallow for the Armenian right here. That God has graciously justified and imputed Christ's righteousness to us. It rests on us now. When, when God looks at us, he sees only the righteousness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him, he knew no sin, to become sin. In a, excuse me. For he knew, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin. For us that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. So Christ became sin that we may become righteous. He bore our sin. It's another example of Christ using common aspects of, of life to bring about a spiritual meaning. In John 3 we have the spiritual rebirth. In John 4 we have the spiritual water, the living water he says. In John 6, we have the spiritual food, bread of life, he calls himself. In chapter 13, we have the spiritual cleansing. He says, you are clean. But why the feet? So 
Jesus declares everyone clean. Is a, what's the spiritual aspect of the feet? So that the feet ground us to this world. We're still connected to the world by our feet, this nasty, dirty world, these streets, dusty streets, as it were. And this is the daily repentance. The feet ground us physically, symbolically. It's daily. Daily repentance. Philippians 2. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, or through 14. Not that I already have attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid, a hold, laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I don't have it all, but I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. I'm washing my feet. Daily confession, repentance is necessary for sanctification. You're not going to grow with the burden of sin resting upon you constantly first John tells us to confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us it's his right he is just in forgiving us because of the finished work of Christ this should be a daily thing the cleansing the unloading of sin so you can be made more Christ-like. Verse 11. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, Not all of you are clean. So Judas benefited greatly. As a disciple of Christ, he witnessed miracles. He sat under the teachings of Christ. I mean, the greatest teacher sat at his feet. But he have a, had a love for money. As we learned back in chapter 12, he wanted to sell the oil for because it was a year's wages. He was a thief. Also in chapter 18, he had a love for money. He sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. He desired a worldly position. He never had a heart for Christ in the spiritual sense. He only desired the benefits. It's no different today. People fill churches enjoying the benefits of, of teaching. And they enjoy the benefits of participation, the fellowship with, with people that in all right reality are going to probably treat them better than any other circle of friends that they're going to have. This community only to fall away with their guilt still on, on their shoulders, unwilling to, 
to humbly submit before the Lordship of Christ. Next week, we'll have churches filled with people that are going to come and reflect on the benefits of Christ in terms of salvation. They like that idea. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. That's why we're here. But the other 51 weeks out of the year, they, they do, do not desire his lordship. Most of them don't care. And beloved, right now, I say we should pray for those that are going to come visit us next week that the Lord would open their, their hearts and restore in them the spirit that would desire the things of God, that they would repent. The Lord even washed the feet of his betrayer. It was, this was no avail spiritually for Judas because he didn't care. He was never bathed. He didn't take that bath before the meal. He was dirty when he showed up. This is the embodiment of Christ's teaching to love our enemies. And how we get so frustrated at the smallest things. With our friends, I'm not, we treat friends as commodities. You know, like, I'm not getting what I think I should out of this friendship. I'm, I don't, I don't like you anymore because, you know, you're, you're not living up to what I think you should be as a friend. We treat people in such a way. And Christ <laughs> treats this man as any other. In his presence, he washed the dirty, nasty feet of his betrayer. Which quickly became defiled as he left from that meal to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. So the feet of the betrayer is cleansed by the Savior's own hands collected the dust from the garden of Gethsemane on his way to betray him. The lips of this man whose feet he just washed would kiss him, signifying this is the one to arrest the Lord of glory. If Jesus, this God in the flesh, took on the task of the most menial slave, washed his disciples' feet, even the feet of the betrayer. How then should we live? A child of God should first have love. First and foremost, joy should be present in this great salvation. The sins had been washed by the blood of Christ so that God could look on us favorably. We should have joy. Humility, tenderness, knowing what Christ has done on our behalf, even while being his enemy. He washed us completely. A humble spirit, a tender heart. Even those that we don't necessarily like. These things should be evident in the life of a believer. The desire to serve within some capacity 
at the church, a church, a local body. We were all the body of Christ, him being the head. The, the desire to serve in general, you know, I, uh, I'm not real good at striking up conversations with strangers, as I was sharing with Lisa earlier. And I really hate that I, for the most part, ignore people in public and that I feel like I'm not being Christ-like by not asking someone how they're doing. Or It's not that I don't care. I just It's hard for me to do those things. It's hard for me to... I'm not a real outgoing person in that respect. And I have reasons in my past that, that kind of hinder me in those respects. But I should be. I should be asking people, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? How can I serve you? So with this body, this Christ is the head. We should, we should have a desire to serve in, in general in our work, in our homes, in our marriages. She didn't say, amen, I must be doing okay. <laughs> With humility to wash the stinky feet of our neighbors, those feet that have traveled through this dirty world, this stained world, this world ridden with sin that we fall into. We should pick one another up, minister to them. We see others in pain, consumed with ugliness of this world, failures or needs, take off our outer garments, our pride or envy, anything that hinders us from ministering. It's really not that hard to just be nice. It takes like zero effort. We take the basin and we wash the feet of others just as the Lord of glory did as he humbled himself. And loved us to the end. Mighty God, we thank you so much for this Lord's Day. We thank you for your word that we may better know and to serve you. We thank you that we may freely come together in this country and still worship you in spirit and truth without fear of persecution. As our brothers and sisters in different areas of the world do. But we just ask that you bless this text this morning let us have a heart of christ let us serve as christ served let us love our enemies and serve them equally we love you we praise you like us children said